Now at Sunrise, we love to talk about God's great rescue plan, which the Bible calls the good news. So we talk about God the Father, Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, His miraculous incarnation, God becoming man, His unjust crucifixion, and His defeat of death for all who trust Him. He sent the Holy Spirit to continue His ministry of rescuing people from death and bringing them into not only life, but abundant life. As a church, we try to show how those who have been rescued can continue to grow by joining a little local branch of his family tree, the universal church. And one of our job descriptions as a branch of that larger tree is to keep reminding family members that Jesus will return to right all the wrongs of this world and to live physically and glorified among us forever. We'll see him, we'll touch him, we'll worship him. We are teaching and living the Apostles' Creed. This 1,400-year-old, at least, creed. Except, I know that I've never taught on that middle line, right in the middle, the event which ignites God's rescue plan, which ignites the good news that Jesus came to deliver. Jesus walks out of the tomb with a glorified body. He appears to Mary, the 11 apostles at that time, and then to over 500 people. 500, in a span of about 40 days, exactly 40 days, we're told. Then he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, the Father. But before we get any further, let me read the New Testament account of the resurrection which unfolds to his ascension. So turn with me, if you would, first to John chapter 20. And that's going to be on page 776, if you're going to use one of these Bibles and chair pockets here. John 20, we're going to first read there, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now turn one, probably one page over to Acts chapter 1. Maybe two pages, but Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, which means the lover of God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given the commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
what she said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, they were looking up, looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. No doubt, a visually epic scene, right? Where this is the moment in Jesus' ministry where he goes all Superman, right? Up, up, and away! And then he's been gone for the last 2,000 years physically. Just wow, and then wait. Yet, paradoxically, Jesus going up, up, and away is the very event that ignited a fire in and through his people, both then, but also now, also today. Did any of you come this morning for our Easter service from camping on the beach? Anyone here come from camping on the beach this weekend? Oh, not, not one person. <laughs> Sad. Well, but if you're a visitor here to our Fair Island, you may have noticed uh, and been surprised that our beaches look like happy refugee camps. <laughs> All right, you may wonder, like, is Cayman secretly some type of Bedouin society of nomads? With all these tents going around and, and people wandering and smelling of fish. And it's not the case. The case is that this is the only weekend of the year, this long weekend, where it's legal to camp on our beaches. Real reason, Katie, my wife Katie, occasionally finds it burdensome to be a pastor's wife isn't the expectations or the pressure. It's because her husband cannot lead her family in camping on Easter weekend. He's got to preach. Because she, she grew up not only regularly camping with her family, but frequenting the beaches of Florida, the panhandle of Florida, camping, <clears throat> which is also a reason I'm grateful to be a preaching pastor uh, for Easter weekend, because first of all, to camp I require, first of all, a shower facility. It, it's just got to be in the vicinity. As long as I can walk there, it's fine. So that eliminates every beach but Smith Cove and Public Beach, I believe. Then there are iguanas, lizards, land crabs, all things I would prefer to sand in my sleeping bag. I would rather have a scorpion, some type of amphibious creature, and I just I cannot stand the feeling of sand. And you can eat in a bed, but if it's in that sort of nylon polyester thing going on, I just I just don't like it. Now we have camped as a family, and the last time we did so, it had shower facilities nearby, and it wasn't a beach. It's kind of a swampland in Florida, still better. Uh, we had everything set out the last time we camped for, for just this big feast. Good meats, foil potatoes, veggies marinated, ready to grill. We had our little, uh, a little gas tank, a new little gas tank for our, our little Coleman camping grill. We had certainly hungry children, 
and thankfully didn't, you know, weren't dependent on fishing because we would have caught nothing. So I, I, we, get, we were ready. We, I had to press the gas, heard the little hiss, a little hiss. I go, oh, ready to go. So I then pushed the igniter button on the grill to get it started. Click, click, and nothing. Nothing happened. It was broken. Couldn't find a lighter anywhere for an hour. There was no fire starter. We had all the materials present, but something had to ignite that gas to produce the fire. And certainly my camping skills weren't going to get us there. Because the ascension of Jesus is the igniter of the good news. We had to understand, how does Jesus flying up, up, and away matter for living a victorious Christian life? It is the igniter of everything Jesus has done and prepared for us. All the materials are present. The food that is the finished work of Jesus. The fuel that is the good news message. The very near prospect of fire to prepare the food. Ready it for God's people. But we need the ignition. We need something to ignite that flame. What we begin to see, and we'll continue to see this morning, is that the ascension of Jesus, the right hand of the Father, it ignites the good news vertically, setting aflame a person's relationship with God. It ignites good news horizontally, sending ablaze the good news through us to others. But first, let's be honest, God coming down to know our pain, our struggle, our every temptation, to live the life we couldn't, to die the death we deserve, to rise victoriously, but now leaving us. Leaving us seems like a problem. As it seemed to the people of the first century, the people who knew and walked and lived with Jesus. We see this in Mary. We see this in the apostles as we read this morning. So first, why does Jesus up and leave? The initial response of Mary and the apostles reflect, I think, how most of us would respond, and some Christians still do respond, when God's tangible presence goes away for a little bit. God's tangible power waxes and wanes in our lives. We feel it sometimes, sometimes we don't. We sense it sometimes, sometimes He feels far removed. And so for those of us who never experienced it, who consider God to be dead, we weep. Secondly, when God's presence becomes tangible, we cling, like Mary did. When God's power is felt, we hoard it. We want it for ourselves, like the apostles did. When God's tangible presence and felt power goes away, we stand, we stare, and think to ourselves, now what? So let's look at these together. First, if God is dead, we should weep. We all should. And by the way, it's, it's, it's initially very human to wonder if God is alive or dead. Every apostolic hero we read about here, these 11, were in one sense an atheist or agnostic for 48 hours. Completely in despair. It is even more human to mourn this fact. Perhaps you've arrived today with doubt and in despair. Like the apostles and very much like Mary, you're in a good place to meet a risen and ascended Savior. One who lives forever for you. Secondly, when God's presence becomes tangible, we respond like the apostles, like Mary. We, we cling and never want to let go. When you sense God, for the first time, you, you just want to keep that forever. You want to never let this feeling go away from you. The Gospel writers are trying to tell us something when two angels of Jesus himself ask Mary, woman, why are you weeping? And Jesus follows up by asking, 
Whom are you seeking? She answers twice verbally and once physically, doesn't she? She says, I am seeking, in effect, the physical body of Jesus. When she sees the risen Jesus, she clings to his physical self. To which Jesus surprisingly says, don't. Don't. She weeps for that tangible presence of God. She's seeking a Savior who's a bit like a favorite stuffed animal or a faithful, loyal guard dog. If I can just see, feel, have Him, hear Him nearby, then and only then will I be okay. Even if it's a corpse. That's why Jesus asks, who really are you seeking? A physical body or a risen Savior? Hmm. Jesus knows this, and He's trying to help her let go. Mary, if you let me go, you can actually be nearer to me than ever. You can know me forever. But you've got to let go. Jesus knew it would be this way for us. Even when He did tangibly leave, we'd go over-reliant on tangible proofs, tangible signs, tangible reassurances through all kinds of means, but especially through individuals. And I want to say individuals as distinct from people for a reason. Christians are meant to rely on the people of God, the church. We're meant to rely on the people of God. But when we begin to say, if I could just only see or be around that individual, I know I'm going to sense God's presence. I know if I get around them, if I go have coffee with them, if I, I just, if I could just get near them today, if I chat with them somehow, I know I'll be okay. That's when we get into trouble. Because we're not seeking an ascended Savior Right? We start to really make other people our God. It also comes in the form of past proofs of His presence. Maybe God has provided for you, has reminded you with a tangible reinsurance that He is near through a provision of money, a healing, renewed health. Maybe it's a specific church program that God used in your past to work in your life. Maybe it's somewhere you lived or a house you dwelled in. That's when things were good back then, when God provided that place for us and for my family. And we think to ourselves, if I, could only, if I only had that again, I would, I would just be near to God, I would sense His presence, and everything would be fine. I know that I'd be okay. But re-seeking Jesus in any of these is like clinging to a corpse. It's just a little security blanket, a stuffed animal, a guard dog. We're not meant to cling to them. Jesus tangibly leaves so that He can continue His ministry to us anytime, anywhere, and simultaneously with others around the world through His Holy Spirit who teaches us the message of Jesus and applies in us the character of Jesus to be on display for others. Also, when God's power is felt tangibly, we tend to want to hoard it like the apostles. Having witnessed the power of His resurrection and the felt power of His authoritative teaching on the kingdom, Consider what the apostles next asked Jesus and ask yourself, are they really just trying to consolidate power? To have Jesus for themselves. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're really asking is, Jesus, look, here's what we want. We want the glories of the past for ourselves. The glories of the past. That's why he says, they say restore the kingdom. They're thinking David. They're thinking Solomon. Israel's glory years. Riches, wealth. Everybody had it well. We kind of want that. 
and to Israel for us. We are all Israelites. We want this for us. I hope if you've never experienced the resurrection power of God through the Holy Spirit, I mean, I hope you do. I hope you do. Even this morning, as you're just sensing being with God's people, did you love? Hey, this is so beautiful. To crown him with many crowns. Man, I just got a, started to weep. Felt those shivers. Maybe you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, but you love those goosebumps or God bumps, people call them. You feel when the praise band sings and leads you. And so you confine, though, God to meeting you on Sundays. And you look forward to Sundays, and understandably so. But God kind of stays there for you. You kind of keep Him to yourself. Maybe you've experienced a healing or something miraculous. You've witnessed something miraculous. Or you've just observed God answer faithfully so many prayers in your life. Yet, you keep it to yourself. You, don't, you, just don't, you don't feel any need. You just don't feel any need to share it with others how God's been good to you, what He's done miraculously in your life. Jesus leaves so we never get the impression that it's about me and my clique, my kind. Jesus tangibly leaves so He can extend His kingdom beyond one people group. Beyond your people group. Think about it. Jesus confined His ministry to one people group when He was physically on earth, didn't He? In fact, there's only one time in Jesus' ministry that he travels beyond Israel's borders, and even then in Mark chapter 7, which we, we taught about not too long ago, Jesus reminds a non-Jewish woman that his tangible ministry is to the Jews, to this people group in Israel. So he invests in them because he loves them. Now how many of us, raise your hand if you're a non-Jew, raise your hand if you're non-Jewish, where is she? All but one. <laughs> McCall is... Uh, is Jewish. I'm so grateful she's here with us. Good friend. Um, aren't you glad then that he went away and ascended? Otherwise, you would ha- all of us would have to buy plane tickets to Israel, find him. You'd have to ask around, how can I find Jesus? No one really wants to tell you because they want to keep him for themselves. But because he ascended, God is available to all through the Holy Spirit. And God, he is ours for others not just for ourselves. Finally, when God's tangible presence <clears throat> felt power goes away, we often stand, stare, and ask, well, now what do we do? Immediately after Jesus' ascension, God is gracious to send a couple angels to the apostles to say, in effect, guys, why do you stand and stare? Why do you look around? It's obvious when he's going to return because he's going to come in the same way. And by the way, it might be a while. So go and do the last thing he told you, in effect. When God's tangible presence is felt and palpable, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it, is it? Waking up, getting to church, getting to God's Word, because you're just so excited. You you know God's at work in your life, anticipating Sunday worship, sitting at your laptop, pining for your work day to end, because you want to get to community group to encourage others, to hear what God's doing in your friends' lives. Use your gift or talent to serve other people. There's nothing like that. It ought to drive us to get out too and share the good news with others, but sometimes it doesn't. So when when tangible presence and felt power departs, it might be God's way of saying, look, you're navel-gazing. You're getting too insular, too inward focused. 
You need to get missional. You need to look outwards, to link arms, look outwards, friends. It might be the Holy Spirit nudging, seek me not for yourself, but to move my message outwards. Jesus leaves so we can participate in His worldwide mission. What a privilege. I love sports, especially team sports. Uh, Teams, though, that have one player dominating, if you've ever noticed, rarely win. Because other players do what? They stand around and watch, right? So Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Real Madrid. Real Madrid has Ronaldo, but it wasn't until he kind of sacrificed, deferred a little bit more to the team that Real bought (laughs) for a lot of money, won the Champions League. It was only then. Otherwise, it was just Ronaldo. But then they were champions. LeBron James was sensational, has been sensational for some time, but his first run with the Cleveland Cavaliers was full of key moments where his teammates stood around and watched him. We're like, man, awesome, but they didn't win. Imagine if Jesus was on your team, physically on your team. All right, you woke up, he's in the, you know, he's in the room next door. I know if one thing, if, if, if Jesus was physically here on my team, I would not be preaching this morning, right? I mean, I, I would clearly defer to Jesus. I'd like, okay. I'm out of a job. <laughs> Go ahead, Jesus. And I'm fine with that. He would preach on his own resurrection. How cool would that be? We'd stand, but as a church, we would stand around and absorb everything Jesus would have to give us. There'd only be one community group, right? Because who would attend one not led by Jesus? Or not hosted by Jesus? Yeah, yeah, just... <laughs> it's like, I have a group over here by myself. He wants you to participate. He involves you in a worldwide mission. But to do that, he had to leave physically. So we see these reasons now why Jesus physically left us. But let's keep going. Kind of second big point this morning. Jesus' ascension ignites his good news vertically. Jesus permanently includes you into the Father's family. Notice what Jesus tells Mary to relate to these men who have been by his side for three years, but have most recently abandoned him at the darkest hour. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. So far, this is classic Jesus. According to John, Jesus always talks about, I'm from above. Everyone else is from below. I alone know God as Father. So he constantly in John calls God Father. But now he says, look, so do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers. Say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. For the first time, he calls them brothers. He refers to their God now as their God. He refers to his Father now as also their Father, made possible by Jesus going up, up, and away. How is this possible now? Because each of us is like the black sheep of the family. The Bible describes us each as sheep who have gone astray. Our own way walked away from God. But on the cross, Jesus became the scapegoat for black sheep. He's the brother who bore the blame we deserve, who said, I did it when it was really us. And by sitting at the right hand of the Father, our perfect brother is also our permanent advocate in heaven. He advocates for us. John remembered this, so he later said in 1 John 2.1, and just listen to this, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So when I I think of this, I get this rudimentary image, but I think of like when I I fail my holy, perfect, and just Father, I imagine Jesus sitting at his right hand saying, hey, remember, Dad, 
I bore his blame. I raised my hand. The Father is filled with love. He's positionally tender. He showers mercy on us. We have an advocate in heaven, and he sends his Holy Spirit on earth to reassure you of your new identity and relationship to a new father. In the end, that's the kind of reassurance we really need, by the way. Not the tangible sort of a certain individual or an old Bible study group or a once-ordained provision. And we're deceived into thinking, this will finally reignite my faith. But the Holy Spirit reminding us, I love you. You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. And Jesus is brother. Amazing. There's evidence we see here in the New Testament that the ascension ignites genuine faith. Luke actually shares the initial response of the 11 in Acts 1, the stand, stare, and oh, what do we do now? Moment. But clearly the angel's words to get going had their intended effect. Luke 24, verses 51 through 53. Listen to this with me. While he blessed them, he parted from them. He blessed them with the words about receiving power and witnessing. And he parted from them, was carried into heaven. And listen to what he did next. What's their response to Jesus going up, up, and away and ascending into heaven? They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. A brother in heaven, a permanent father, God the Holy Spirit to live with them and remind them they are forever sons. This leads to joyful obedience. They obey Jesus, they go to Jerusalem, and they live this life characterized by thanksgiving. We just want to be together every day praising God for what he's done for us. The ascension ignites genuine faith. Here's the third thing I want us to see this morning. The Jesus' ascension ignites his good news horizontally to others. Acts 1, verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now recall from what I said a minute ago, they're really asking to hoard Jesus for themselves and for their own kind. Jesus agrees on the kingdom and the power, but his kingdom won't be confined to yours and mine. It will spread like wildfire through their witness to others. Just by sharing, here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's how Jesus has given me new life. Here's how Jesus has included me into his family. And all you have to do is trust what he's done for you through the cross, through that simple witness and testimony, empowered by the Holy Spirit, spreads like wildfire. Locally, across the street, to the bigger regions, whole regions like Judea, for the batter like Samaria, because the gospel, yes, is for people you would not normally befriend. And finally, it'll never stop. He will keep giving you the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, for mission, to witness to others. Here's what Jesus has done for me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. It gets a little bigger. Samaria, people you wouldn't normally befriend. And finally, to the ends of the earth. By ascending and sitting at the right hand of the Father, Jesus lives not only to be our advocate, but Jesus lives above to intercede below. The New Testament puts it this way, that Jesus lives, ascended in heaven, Jesus lives forever to intercede for his children. Jesus lives forever to intercede for his children. He lives to get between us and those with whom we're sharing the good news about Jesus. People who haven't heard it or maybe believed it yet. 
to work into their hearts the Holy Spirit. He softens them. He opens up their minds. He uses our imperfect words. He grants the person the faith to believe. God gets between us. Jesus gets between us. And He works on the person. And He helps the person. He also lives to get between us and our Father to hear our prayers. Those prayers of help, which by the way, I think is one of the most beloved prayers of the Father. He loves when we just pray that simple prayer. Going to talk to someone about our faith. About what Jesus has done for us. And you get nervous. You don't, like, what am I going to say to this person? I really, want, I really feel like I should share with them. And you just pray that simple prayer in your mind. Help. Here comes the Holy Spirit to speak through you, to work, to answer prayer. Amazing. But, power of the Holy Spirit is not ours to hoard. He is ours for others. Gifts, prayer, and certainly witness. The Spirit spreads mission, and mission spreads the Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. You can't do mission without the Holy Spirit. God has to be involved. You can't just share with someone, here are all the reasons why you should know Jesus, and just lay it out for them. It might be rational, but God has to work. But also, mission spreads the Spirit. A fire contained cannot spread. Does your life contain the Spirit? Or does your witness spread the Spirit? There's evidence here too in the New Testament that that just His ascension and sending of the Spirit spreads the Spirit-spreading witness. Okay? Trusting Jesus to intercede, to hear every plea, to work here below, to get in between us and others. It works. The rest of Acts actually follows the pattern promised by Jesus. The Spirit and power witness about the free gift that anyone can have through Jesus. So first, that, that good news about Jesus spreads first through Jerusalem, like Jesus promised. Acts chapter 1 through 7. Then here comes some serious persecution led by a guy named Saul. Then the gospel spreads further through Judea and Samaria, Acts chapter 1 through Acts 11:18. And finally, for the rest of Acts, from the end of Acts chapter 11 through Acts 28, we see it go throughout the Roman world. The gospel spreads like wildfire. Why? Because Jesus ascended, He sent His Holy Spirit, and the people just stepped out in faith and said, I'll share. I will share what Jesus has done for me. Jesus died the death we deserve. He defeated death to give us life. He ascended so that we have a brother who's an advocate when we fail our Father. And so that we have an intercessor who through the Holy Spirit gets between us and others and us and God. If you find yourself this morning unmoved by this man Jesus, this God-man, Jesus Christ, you're in need of ignition to spark the, the fuel of Christ's finished work into the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life, let me suggest three ways quickly forward. Number one, trust the good news so that it becomes good for you. Jesus is the rescuer you need. He doesn't just understand you. He doesn't just comfort you. But He is sovereign in heaven to know that every moment when you're struggling, when you're suffering, He has a plan. He is working something. Hebrew, or sorry, 1 Peter 3.22 says this, Jesus has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Every angel, every authority, every power has been subjected to Him. So even those things that you think are working against you, Jesus uses for His plan. Especially sin, which is working against you, friend. The struggle, the rebellion in your heart, the inability to do what's right. 
Jesus can forgive. Yet as part of His plan, He wants to to work to forgive that, for you to recognize how good He is for forgiving that and cleansing that in your life, and set you on fire to be used by Him. Secondly, keep on claiming your new identity as an adopted member of the Father's family. You know, I, I am more Jesus' brother than I am pastor. Or that I am any calling or career. I am more Jesus' brother. I am more my father's son than I am a father to my own children. That is more true. I am more bride than husband. So the bride of Christ. Though I am all these things, I'm more brother. I'm more son. I'm more bride. I'm more saint than sinner. I'm more family member than failure. We need to keep on reminding ourselves and each other because it takes time for this to actually sink into our lives. One of my favorite preachers was a British man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor they called him. The doctor loved to use an analogy from American history, African-American emancipation from slavery. When slaves were emancipated, set free in 1863, they were free actually and under the law. But do you think the former slaves immediately went out to country clubs and said, I'd like to join? You think they immediately flaunted their freedom in the streets and at town hall meetings? You think they applied for property right away? Do you think that was the immediate reaction? No. It took time. But as their new status sank in and they reminded each other about it, they started to live out their new status as free men and free women. So with us, you might not feel free. You might not live like a member of the Father's family. But as you keep reminding yourself and one another, you will. Here's one more suggestion. Join with others on mission. If you look at church history, guys, every time the church starts to to stagnate, get insular, God sends a missionary. We don't have time to look at that now, but it's just interesting. God sends a missionary who goes out locally, broadly, globally, and God uses them to ignite his people. It's also true of our little church's history. Sermon evangelism. Outreach by asking local leaders where we need to serve in the community. Georgetown Primary, using finances for mission, Tree of Life Ministries in Honduras, going to beaches on Easter weekend to hand out mosquito wipes and say, we just want to give you an unconditionally good Friday. Tell you, God loves you, no strings attached. And people wrote back to me saying, this was so much more fun than I could ever imagine, than I ever thought would be, because the Holy Spirit's spreading. I would suggest this could be your history also. Fire spreads turned outward, but suffocates turned inward. Jesus left us ascended to the right hand of God to ignite a fire in his people, but also through his people to others. Not only then, but also today. Let's pray.